Acts chapter 8, 1 through 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostle were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and more deeply for him, for Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged out both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was, there was great joy in that city. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm looking forward to this message, but before we get kicked off, let me uh, pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for Anne's reading. Uh, thank you for uh, the story of the gospel going to Samaria. Help us to, to hear it, to understand it, to let it sink into our heart and to our context today. We just want to learn your word, Lord, because we want to know you. We want to know how to live in this world and uh, to be in relationship with you and with each other. Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to be here. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, I, I, I want to keep it kind of simple. I want to talk about the gospel. I want to talk about the power uh, of the gospel, what the gospel is and what the gospel does. And I think that the gospel uh, speaks to our cultural moment right now, the cultural friction we're experiencing, the kind of the racial tension, the um, the protests, everything that's going on in our life and our world right now, I think the gospel speaks to it. Uh, I think the gospel clarifies the problem, um, it, but it also provides a solution. And so my, my thesis, kind of my big idea is this. The gospel actively crosses all racial and ethnic barriers to bring healing in Christ. The gospel actively crosses all racial and ethnic barriers to bring healing in Christ. See, there are so many barriers right now. I mean, you can probably come up with all the barriers in your own mind, right? We're, we're watching the images of literal barriers, of, of, of shields, of protesters, of, of, of people in lines, uh, of people yelling and, and, uh, and posters and, and barrier after barrier, right? There's there's emotional, there's relational barriers there. We're hearing about kind of social and economic and uh, uh, barriers to, to justice. We're hearing about those sorts of barriers as well, but we're also experiencing perhaps barriers uh, personally, right? On, on social media where uh, you see the issue this way, right? You see it from this point of view and you're like, I understand it, I get it. Uh, but then your friend or someone you know or a family member sees it this way. Uh, and then suddenly there's a barrier between the two of you. There's like this relational barrier. Man, what are we to do? <laughs> how, how can we, how as Christians can we go forward? How can we make it through this time uh, in a way that shows unity and shows that we are different than the world? That we are going to respond differently than our culture. I pray to God that there is something different about how we respond. And I think the key is... Uh, the, the difference all comes down to the gospel message, to the good news about Jesus Christ. Because the gospel, gospel literally means good news, euangelion, uh, the gospel. Uh, uh, it, it, it's the gospel is the good news of restored relationship. 
the good news of restored relationship with God, but then also with those around us. Now, gospel means good news, like I said, but in the ancient times, like going back to Bible days, right, uh, the gospel had a, a little bit of a different connotation uh, to it uh, because it meant more uh, uh, like military victory. So I was reading a book uh, called Fight by the author Preston uh, Sprinkle, and he talks about how the Roman emperors, uh, they, they were believed to have brought unprecedented peace to the world. And they called this piece the Pax Romana, uh, which means peace of Rome. It's Latin, Pax Romana. And Rome was known for securing peace and justice uh, as long as you were on their side, right? It, they used warfare, they used violence in order to bring peace. Uh, but when, uh, when, and when the Roman leaders would return home from, from battles, from uh, victories, they would send out heralds before them, like people to go and proclaim the good news, to proclaim the gospel that the Romans, that the emperor, that the uh, the soldiers had won, that they had another victory. And so this word gospel had a lot of like military kind of violent conquest connotations around it. And Jesus comes in and he just like flips it on its head uh, because the gospel now uh, is no longer about uh, the emperor who wins the battle. The gospel of Christianity is about the king who has died. Do you see that complete reversal of the world's expectation of what the gospel is? See, the gospel of Rome is that the empire is strong, and the gospel of Christianity is that the weak shall be made strong uh, through suffering in Christ Jesus. The gospel of Rome is that we can save ourselves. And the gospel of Christianity is that nothing but the blood of Jesus can save us, that we're helpless. And so the gospel is this good news that we can be made right with God, that, our, that we can have a right relationship with God. To really understand that the gospel, you have to go back to the first gospel. And, and the first gospel uh, was this announcement to Adam and Eve that, yeah, they blew it at the garden, right? They sinned, they disobeyed God. Adam and Eve and all of humanity fell into sin, but someone was going to come who was going to defeat the enemy, going to defeat Satan, the serpent, and set them free. That's the first gospel. And we see it uh, begin to be fulfilled uh, uh, at, at the birth of Jesus, but then really come to fulfillment at his death and resurrection on the cross. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again from the tomb. Uh, and so it's through Jesus's death, resurrection, his sacrifice that we can then enter into right relationship with God because his death pays the penalty for our sin. That's the word atonement. Jesus has made atonement for our sins by his sacrifice. And then we can be reconciled to God and to each other. And we find this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 says this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ gave us a right relationship with himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You and I have a ministry to, to reconcile others to God and to reconcile people to one another. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. The world uh, means all peoples, all ethnicities, all races, all scattered around the world, all social and economic statuses. Uh, God has, has brought this ministry of reconciliation to us through Christ. 
reconciling us to himself, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation, you and me. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, it is uh, by being reconciled to God that then we can be reconciled to one another. I believe the gospel has the power to heal any broken relationship. God to man first, but then rich to poor, black to white, any broken relationship, the gospel can restore. The gospel is the good news of restored relationship. Now, you may have noticed that the I don't have the cross on my wall this week. I've had it. Uh, Monica was joking. Maybe I'm going to, like, do something with this. Uh, uh, but so this is the cross. It, it fell off my wall. The, the kind of the sticky tab uh, fell down. I decided this was the, our last week anyways. Um, but I think the, the cross is actually a great visual reminder of what the gospel does. So we tend to think about when we see the cross, when we see Jesus hanging on the cross, or just the symbol of the cross, we think about our relationship with God being restored. And that's so true. That's the first aspect of the gospel. And you can even see here, like, uh, this part's even a little bit longer, right? The kind of the vertical uh, beam of the cross that points us to God. This is, this is where it all begins, right? Uh, we can be made right with God through the gospel, but then there's another part of the gospel. And see, there's like this horizontal beam, and that's perhaps not as big as the, as the vertical, but it's still there and it's still important. And what this tells us is the gospel also, uh, this reminds us, is that the gospel is for our, our, our relationships with each other. One another. The gospel is meant to, to heal broken relationships between you and me, between brother and sister, between uh, people and conflict in our culture and our world. The gospel is this, this massive tool of reconciliation, and, and, it, and I think the cross is the perfect symbol of it because it points up and down and, and next to each other, side to side. Uh, and so uh, when you look at the cross, remember that this is uh, what it's all about. The gospel is the good news of restored relationship with God, but also with each other. And, and the only way that the gospel can do this is do this as if it is resilient. And the gospel is surprisingly resilient. See, our gospel, our good news is not furthered through violence or uh, through, uh, through the powers of Rome, uh, but through self-sacrifice and through suffering. Now, the Jewish Supreme Court uh, called the Sanhedrin has just executed Stephen. So we're going to our text today, chapter 8. So what just happened in chapter 7 is that Stephen was executed and then Paul approved of it. And then this is like the spark that ignites a fire. It's the first explosion that sets off like a line of fireworks as persecution spreads to all the Christians. Acts chapter 8 verses 1 through 3. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And so uh, this, this great flame of persecution arises. And we see Saul, who would eventually go on and become Paul when he meets the risen Savior, Christ Jesus. But he is just using the, the full powers of the state. Uh, he's using violence and power to further his message and to try to quench Christianity. It says that there was a great persecution, a megas diagmos, a great persecution. He was literally hunting men and women, followers of Christ Jesus, and throwing them into prison. 
Uh, and, and there's like, there's a lot of things going on. People are mourning for Stephen, even though they weren't really supposed to, they were mourning for Stephen, they buried him. Uh, and, and yet the apostles are kind of this uh, stabilizing force, right? The 12 followers of Jesus, and one of them was replaced, but uh, for, for Judas, but they're, they're, they're staying put. Uh, they're trusting in God, and for some reason they are able to stay there in Jerusalem. Uh, they're resilient. Uh, they're going to keep preaching. The gospel is resilient as it then spreads further from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And so the gospel keeps going. Uh, it's going to make it through the suffering. It's going to make it through the persecution. Uh, and this, this should encourage us that no matter what we're going through, no matter what situation we're in, no matter what suffering we experience or we see in our world, the gospel is going to keep going forward because the gospel is surprisingly resilient. For my doctorate of ministry program, I've been reading this book called The Art of Pastoring. It's actually the second time I've read it. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, and if you, I would encourage to anyone to read it. It's really quite good. Uh, but he uses this image in it of, uh, he's walking through the woods, he's praying, and he's listening to the pine trees. And there's wind, and the pine trees are swaying uh, back and forth. And he, and he says it sounds like a 100-year-old rocker uh, rocking on a 100-year-old oak floor multiplied by the sound of 100 trees. <laughs> I love that. It's like an old rocker creaking on an old wooden floor multiplied by 100 different rocking chairs, different trees. And he says in this forest, uh, the trees uh, have been fractured. Uh, the wood has been compromised uh, with fractures. And yet these trees that are swaying in the wind are incredibly, incredibly resilient. Uh, see, the cracks in the trunks have undoubtedly been caused by the wind. But ironically, they have also allowed the trees to survive the wind. It's those cracks in the trunks that allows the trees to sway. Otherwise, if they just were stiff, they'd break. And I want to pause for a moment and think of the cross and our gospel message. See, there's there's cracks in our cross. There's cracks in our gospel. I don't mean like, oh, we can't believe it or we can't trust it. No, I mean our gospel has experienced suffering. Our, our gospel has, uh, through believers, has gone through times of persecution and pain, and yet it is still here. It is still good. It is still swaying in the wind offering shade and comfort to any who will come to it. See, I believe in the gospel. And, and we can even see this to be true in our own lives, right? As we continue to hold on to Jesus as our lives are, are blown to and fro and we experience fractures in our hearts and in our souls, the gospel is still good. The gospel is still resilient. Maybe we're not being dragged from our homes, uh, but we've all experienced tough times where it's tempting to, to walk away from the faith. And so we, we can uh, rest assured that, that God is doing something in our hearts. He's even using our suffering to teach us endurance, to, to give us resilience, so that our faith, when we uh, finally see Christ, will, will have been resilient, will have, will have endured. Uh, and that's a reward in and of itself, but it, it helps others come along as well, right? There's a whole forest of trees that we suffer uh, together. The gospel is surprisingly resilient. A gospel community can be surprisingly resilient. But the, go the gospel isn't just for that community, right? It's not just for the, the people there. The gospel is always meant to 
actively go out, actively cross barriers, right? We believe in an outward church. The gospel actively crosses barriers. And I see this kind of two different ways in our text today. Number one is that the gospel is active according to God's plan. And remember that Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven, he said that he kind of gave this roadmap to the, the book of Acts, like how the gospel was going to go forward. In chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I've sent John a little map to put up, uh, and this shows how the gospel goes from uh, Jerusalem, right? And Judea is kind of the region surrounding uh, Jerusalem. It spreads from Jerusalem, and then it goes up to Samaria, uh, so north, uh, northern uh, direction. And uh, this is because of persecution that it, it's, uh, that it spreads. The believers were scattered throughout all Judea and Samaria. But this was always God's plan. See, God's plan that the gospel would go to Samaria, but then God uses the this, this suffering that his church uh, uh, receives to then uh, to spread that gospel. And so, like, the gospel is active uh, according to God's plan and in God's timing and in God's season. And the gospel is always intended to uh, cross racial, cultural, and ethnic barriers. And we're going to hear a little bit more about that in a moment. But first, I want to talk about the second way the gospel is active. It is actively shared by those who believe. Chapter 8, verse 4 says this. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Uh, I was listening to a panel uh, discussion recently uh, by one of my mentors from the Doctorate of Ministry program. And he said, don't waste a good pandemic. <laughs> you know, don't waste. I'm like, oh, okay. So like, there's, there's good things you can do, right, during a pandemic. There's ways that you can be reaching out, loving your neighbors, caring for others. It's one of the reasons we're doing the... Uh, the Westford Food Pantry fundraiser, right? We want to care for others. We don't want to waste a good opportunity to care for those around us. Well, right here, they're not wasting uh, a good a good season of persecution, right? They don't waste their suffering. They don't waste their persecution. Instead, the Holy Spirit fills them up and, and uses them as they go out to these other places, Judea and Samaria. They're sharing the gospel. They're telling about Christ Jesus. Uh, the gospel is actively crossing barriers, right? It's according to God's plan and, uh, and as people are sharing it. Right? The gospel fills us up and energizes us so that we can then go out and share it. God puts circumstances in our lives so that we can share what he has done, his faithfulness and his goodness. So maybe you've heard kind of the joke of uh, COVID, like if you don't catch COVID-19, you might catch COVID-15. COVID-15 is kind of like the fresh mid-15, where, uh, you know, you go to college for your first year of, uh, of school and you gain 15 pounds because you're, like, in the cafeteria and have all this access to, to food. Well, there's the same idea with COVID-15, right? We're stuck at home. We're near our fridges, near our pantry. We get bored. We get slightly hungry, and we go and we feed ourselves, uh, and so we gain the COVID-15. Uh, I'll admit I've gained a few pounds, uh, uh, but I, I know fatherhood will wear that off, right? Um, we have all this energy, and we're supposed to do something with it, right? Like we uh, we eat so that we can uh, we can be active, and and so that we can go outside and and walk around, or or spend time with our family, or 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 do something. And the gospel is kind of similar, right? God gives us this amazing message that fills us up. 
Uh, and what do we do with it, right? Well, we're meant to go out and share it. We're, we're meant to be active uh, because that's God's plan. And so the kind of the question I need to ask myself is, am I a lean Christian because I'm out there, uh, you know, sharing Christ? Or am I, uh, do I have a little extra fuel to burn off, right? Do I have a little extra gospel fat because I've just, I've received the gospel, but I haven't, I haven't uh, uh, shared it uh, with others. I don't want to gain the gospel 15, maybe the COVID 15 or the freshman 15. Uh, but I want to I want to be sharing that. I want to be actively sharing the gospel according to God's plan. So we have fuel to burn. The gospel actively crosses barriers. And I keep talking about these racial and ethnic barriers. And so I want to talk about that. that the gospel crosses racial and ethnic barriers in Christ's name. Now, the story highlights Philip. Right? We uh, now, if you may remember, Philip was one of the uh, seven Greek speaking uh, believers who was chosen by the early church to take care of the Greek-speaking widows. So that's Acts chapter 6. And so this is kind of the first time we're really hearing a little bit more about him. Stephen was also one of those seven, and we just witnessed his uh, trial and death. And now well, we're kind of uh, picking up with the next uh, Philip. And it's interesting how he was like chosen to serve the Greek-speaking widows. Maybe he did that for a period of time, but God obviously had other plans, right? We can have the best plans and in, in leadership. We choose our people and God's like, well, I'm actually going to do this and that's fine. Acts chapter 8 verses 5 through 6 say this, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowd heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. Now, I want to talk about like these social and, uh, well, these ethnic and racial barriers by highlighting the Samaritans. See, the Samaritans are different than the Jews. They're different than the Jewish people. They're not uh, completely ethnically Jewish, but neither are they quite Gentile. So we typically think when we read the New Testament between Jew and Gentile, right? Gentile is non-Jew. So they, they're not quite Jewish, but they're also not quite Gentile. And this is because uh, the northern kingdom, right, Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, and in 722 BC, so right, roughly 700 years before Christ, uh, the Assyrians invaded northern Israel and they uh, deported a lot of the uh, northern Israelites and they imported, they, they relocated foreigners to northern uh, Israel, uh, whose capital was called Samaria. And so they brought in all these foreigners who kind of lived in and around uh, Samaria, in and around northern Israel. They were mixing with the local cultural. They were bringing in their religions, their beliefs. Uh, and then there kind of became like this melting pot of people in that region. And so the Jewish people, the, those in Jerusalem and Judah, began to think of the Samarians as half-breeds. Uh, they were culturally different. And they, there were some legitimate uh, theological differences between the two. Uh, for example, the northern uh, 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 Sumerians, uh, they built a different temple. They refused to go to the temple in Jerusalem. And, you know, we have the Hebrew scriptures, which we call the Old, Old Testament. Uh, and we have all those books, right? 37 books. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the, the, the people of Israel, they had... Uh, oh, the Sumerians, they only had five books. They had the Pentateuch, right? 
they had the Pentateuch, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so uh, they, they only believed in those. They only practiced those first couple of books, and then they ignored the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, all those other books. Uh, and, uh, and so there's all these like theological differences, all these cultural differences. And you can even read about it in the New Testament. Uh, when Jesus is going by a, a, a Samaritan village, a Samaritan village, uh, and the villagers don't welcome him, and James and John ask Jesus, hey, you want us to call down fire from heaven uh, to destroy this town? I think they're kind of thinking of like Sodom and Gomorrah. And, uh, and Jesus just rebukes them and says, no, that's not the plan. And so you can see like there's all these racial and ethnic and religious tensions between Judah and, uh, and Samaria. Uh, they don't get along well. Uh, apparently, if you were a, a, a Samaritan, you, you could not become Jewish. Like, they wouldn't let you even convert to Judaism. Like, that's how strong the differences were between these two cultures and between these two peoples. They did not like each other. And we're going to see, like, in, in the rest of the New Testament, over and over again, the book of Acts speaks of racial tensions uh, in the early church between Jew and Gentile. <clears throat> The gospel, the Bible, over and over again, speaks of uniting people, uh, bringing people together from different racial and ethnic and social and economic backgrounds and making them one in Christ. Like, this is fundamental to the gospel message that we believe. And I read one author, uh, John Perkins, uh, so I've read the book One Blood, and he talks in it about how we shouldn't really talk about race because there is only one human race. And so when we talk about race, we're kind of creating this construct. And so, uh, you know, loosely here, my, my point about, um, you know, crossing racial and ethnic barriers. But, but what I mean by race is, right, uh, black, white, Asian, Latino, Indian, etc. cetera, um, kind of those big categories. And then ethnicity is a little bit more focused. Like, I, right, I'm, I'm, I'm white, but then I'm also German, Irish. I'm not Italian, right? So that, that's my ethnicity. You can be a black person who's African-American or Haitian or Nigerian uh, that are completely different than one another. If you're Asian, uh, you might think of yourself really as Korean or Chinese, not as Asian. And so there's a lot of different uh, possibilities with ethnicities there. And what's the one thing that can unite people from different races, different ethnicities, uh, and help us all to not just get along with each other, but to truly appreciate one another? and to see each other as brothers and sisters. Well, it's if we're united in Christ, if we're part of the same family, if we all first and foremost consider ourselves children of God uh, and don't divide ourselves into these, uh, these categories that sometimes divide. So we're united by Christ Jesus. Uh, and so we see that in our text today, despite the cultural and religious differences, Philip still finds a way to share the gospel, and he does it by highlighting Jesus, by highlighting the Messiah, by, highlight, by highlighting the Christ. Christ is just the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. See, the Samaritans, they believed in a coming uh, Messiah figure. Uh, they called him the Ta'ib, or the Restorer. Uh, and, and our text shows that they called him the Messiah. Uh, but they, would, they got this figure, this coming figure from the Pentateuch, uh, from the book of Deuteronomy. 
Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And so we see this prophecy that Moses gave. It said to the Israelites, hey, the Lord's going to raise up someone like me, a prophet, a ruler, uh, who's going to lead you. And then we see this, that it is fulfilled in Jesus, right? And Jesus even identifies himself as uh, the, the Messiah to a Samaritan woman, uh, uh, identifying himself as kind of the restorer. <clears throat> John chapter 4, verses 25 through 26 and 39. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And what did, what did Philip do when he went to Samaria? He proclaimed the Messiah. He talked about the Christ. He talked about the restorer. So he's He's sharing the gospel in a way that makes sense to the inhabitants of Samaria. <coughs> Samaria. I'm just going to get some water here. Thankfully, this time I did not put my cup all the way in the kitchen. <clears throat> and so we see that here the gospel is crossing all racial and ethnic bridges. It's amazing that Philip, uh, someone who already kind of had this experience of ministering to the Greek-speaking widows, that he didn't see that. That's that, that cultural barrier against the Samaritans. He went and was willing to share the gospel with them. He didn't, he didn't let those, those, those tensions, those cultural tensions get in the way. He was more determined to share the love of Christ with them uh, than anything else. The gospel crosses racial and ethnic barriers in Christ's name. And what does it do when it gets there? It brings healing. Uh, verses 7 through 8 are really uh, encouraging. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that sea. That's what happens when the gospel arrives. There is joy and there is healing. Uh, we see that the gospel here bringing spiritual healing as uh, demons are cast out of people. Uh, that's what God can do for you. I don't know who's watching this. Maybe uh, there is uh, some sort of presence in your life that you need Christ uh, to come and to fill you and, and to, to cast out that presence. We are happy to, to walk with you through that. We would love to do that. Uh, it says many were paralyzed or lame were healed. Right? Their physical bodies were healed. There was spiritual reconciliation. There was kind of this physical and emotional healing. Uh, and see, the gospel, it's first and foremost about like, reuniting our relationship with God, but also about uh, reconciling our relationship with each other. Uh, but then it can it, it produces healing. It produces like uh, wholeness that only the gospel can bring about. There is reconciliation between Jew and Samaritan. We see that even in this passage, long hated enemies that are made one in Christ Jesus. Uh, and the gospel impacts the city. It bring it fills the city with joy. I love that. It fills the whole city with joy. The gospel is not this like privatized. Oh, it's just this. It's just for this this club. It's just for this group of people over here in this one little building in this synagogue or this church building. The gospel fills the whole city with joy because the gospel is making a difference for the whole city, not just for the believers, for the whole community. And so, 
that's why our series is called Outward Church. I believe that we as the church can help bring healing where our world sees only barriers. So the gospel can do. We believe in resurrection life. Where there is death, we can experience life through Christ Jesus. I kind of wanted to go back to some of my opening points about barriers. So I have a pastor friend who is both a chaplain to our Massachusetts State Troopers and yet is deeply brokenhearted for the black community right now. He sees no difference uh, in, in, in ministering to both. But God values both and, and loves both. He doesn't want to pit the two against each other, but wants to unite them in Christ. Uh, and that's what we want to see, right? The gospel can also cross social and economic barriers. Uh, you can't buy position in the church. Right? It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. We're all the same. Like someone uh, who is uh, poor can disciple and mentor someone who is incredibly wealthy. Uh, because it's all about being united and, and spiritually one in Christ Jesus. The gospel can reconcile those with different points of view on social media, right? Before I tried to, stay, to, to, to take the uh, social media speck out of my brother or sister's eye, I, I, I need to confess first the tree trunk in my own eye. Uh, that's what the gospel does. It gives us humility. It helps us love one another despite our differences and value and see uh, how we care about each other. The gospel brings healing. My thesis is this, the gospel actively crosses all racial and ethnic barriers to bring healing in Christ. I've called this sermon the Samaritan Gospel. The Samaritan Gospel, because the gospel isn't just for Jew, it's not just for the Gentile, it's also for the Samaritan, it's also for those that are racially and ethnically different than us, that are culturally alienated. God wants to bring healing to all peoples. God wants to cross these barriers. And so as we watch the news and as we experience uh, relationships that are broken, we need to pray for healing. Uh, we need to be praying that God would bridge the gap. We need not to get caught up in, in, in uh, the anger, uh, but get, get caught up in, in the gospel. And that the gospel can bring joy. The gospel can bring healing. And so there's, there are kind of three takeaways that I want for us today from today's passage. Number one is that we believe the gospel is for healing. And we we, this, this begins by just believing first in Jesus. Uh, believe in Jesus that he is the one who, who did all of this first. Right? He, he crossed all racial and ethnic barriers uh, the Son of God did to become human. Like He, he truly did become a, a part of the human race. He became a, an incarnation, right? the incarnation of God living among us, leaving the glories of heaven, heaven stepping down into a human body, a, a, a Middle Eastern Jewish man, uh, man, uh, 2,000 years ago, becoming a, a baby boy in Bethlehem. And, and if, if he crossed barriers to bring healing into our world, this is like fundamental to, to the gospel message. He crossed those barriers so that he could bring us healing so that he could forgive us of our sins and bind up our wounds. And so, if you want to be reconciled to God, or, or if you see reconciliation, reconciliation needs to, to happen in your own life, among you and others, first, confess your sins, believe in Jesus, believe that the gospel can bring healing, and then begin to, uh, number two, pray. We pray for and put ourselves in cross-cultural situations. 
So maybe you're seeing all this unrest in, in our culture and in our world, and you're wondering what you can do. Well, you can pray. We pray for opportunities for reconciliation uh, between uh, people that are in broken relationships. Uh, and, and one of the ways we do that is, uh, is by entering into those relationships ourselves, becoming kind of uh, following the way of the incarnation. Uh, stepping into other cultures that we're not familiar with. That's, and that's just what I've been convicted of, right? That I, uh, you know, I, I don't have many friendships uh, with black people, honestly, people of color. Uh, and I formed a few uh, through the Akinge program, uh, but really that's it. And so it's like, man, I, I need to be, I'm, I'm convicted right now that I need to be a little bit more cross-cultural in my relationships, that I need to, to think about ways that I can uh, grow and develop friendships with people that are different with me, just so I can see the furthering of the gospel in our world. Uh, because this is the message of Christ Jesus. And, and like I said last week, as I enter into those relationships, uh, I want to try to listen more than I talk, which is hard to believe, right? Because I'm talking right now, but I want to listen. I want to hear them and where they're at. And so we pray for, and then we put ourselves in cross-cultural situations, right? If, if you don't really know anyone from a different culture, uh, I encourage you to really try to form that friendship, try to form that relationship. Now is a great time to call people and check in on them and see how they're doing. The gospel can bring healing. And so we pray for and put ourselves in cross-cultural situations. And number three, we expect God to work. Like we expect God to do something. Uh, God uh, has an active plan, right? He moved the gospel message from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and he's going to take it to the ends of the earth, to Rome. And we expect God to break down barriers. We expect him to break down barriers, uh, uh, to, to push back the gates of hell. Uh, uh, Jesus said to Peter, like, you're my rock, and upon you I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Like, the gospel uh, will not be overcome. Uh, we read about, uh, about the ultimate victory in the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 7 says this. After this, so this is John, he's having a vision. He says, after this, I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We see this great image, this great vision of people from every tribe, every tongue, every language standing before the throne. And they're still themselves, right? They still show their ethnicity, their race, who they are, and yet they are one. They are united in Christ. And the gospel can give us a foretaste of that right now as it unites us to each other. There will always be tensions, uh, but as we are seeking to bring like God's kingdom into our world, uh, we work towards reconciliation. We work towards healing. We work towards unity all through Christ Jesus. The gospel actively crosses all racial and ethnic barriers to bring healing in Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ Jesus. Thank you for what the gospel can do. Would we see it happen in our world, in our culture right now? Would you put us in positions where we can bring healing? We know that we can't solve everything that's going on right now, Lord. <clears throat> but I pray that you would give us 
uh, unique and individual opportunities and that you would help us see those opportunities, help us recognize them where we can bring healing, where we can bring racial and ethnic reconciliation, where we can bring joy to our cities, Lord. Oh, gosh, what a, what a wonderful vision that you can give, Lord. Uh, we love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.